Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Beloved family of God, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, over the last couple weeks, I have been blessed to spend uh, some time in Turkey and Greece exploring historical churches and sites and walking in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. And I, as I was preparing for the trip, there were many things that I was anticipating, things I was looking forward to, ways that I thought things would be. And, but there was something I ran into that I wasn't necessarily expecting from the get-go, something that would occupy a lot of my brain time and space as I was on my trip, and that was time zone math. Have you ever been gone on a trip and had, okay, what, uh, counting the time, okay, what time is it back there? Greece is eight hours ahead of Minnesota time, and Turkey is nine hours ahead, and much of my trip was spent asking, okay, what time can I text the kids good morning? What time will it be here when they get home from school? There, uh, I wound up setting my phone to military time just to make the math a little easier. Something you got to do whatever helps, right? Yeah, and then I, I came home to prepare for worship this week, and I opened the text, and they're all about time. Particularly the urgency of time. We open the prophet Jonah, 40 days more, he cries out. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In Jonah, the timer is set for the overthrow of Nineveh. We turn to the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth and he opens up with the appointed time has grown short. For the present form of this world is passing away. Again, it sounds pretty urgent. The passing away has already begun. And then we turn to Mark's Gospel and we have the first words that Jesus proclaims in Mark's Gospel. And those first words of Jesus are always something to, to pay attention to, always stick out as a, a herald of what is to come in Jesus' ministry. And the first words that Jesus proclaims in Mark's Gospel is the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. There's an urgency to each one of these readings from Scripture that can strike us as rather odd. I mean, most of us are probably used to thinking of faith as a long-term endeavor. 
faith as a kind of lifelong commitment. We use language when we talk about faith. We use language like planting seeds, which is a long-term endeavor, as any gardener may tell you. We talk about how this life of faith and ministry is a marathon and not a sprint. Right? One of my favorite writers, Eugene Peterson, describes a life of discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. A lot of the words we use to talk about faith indicate this long kind of patience and way of being, and yet so much we hear in our scripture today, things seem so urgent. When Jesus comes to proclaim this kingdom of God coming near and calls out for people to repent and trust in the good news, I love that his first move is to pull more people in. Right? His first move is to expand the circle of who is involved. Certainly Jesus, the word made flesh, could accomplish anything that he wanted to on his own. Didn't need to call disciples in order to do the things that he was about to do, and yet he also knows the power of relationship and the power of witness. So, the first thing he does after announcing the kingdom of God coming near is he calls disciples, he establishes relationships with people nearby and calls them to new life, calls them to a new way of living. And I love that he chooses fishermen. Because it seems to me that fishermen in Jesus' day would have just the right amount of patience and urgency required to do the work to which Jesus was calling them. Patience, because of course fishing is an endeavor with no guaranteed outcome, as many I'm sure in this room could attest. Right? requires patience, and yet in Jesus' day, it would also require a sense of urgency because, of course, if they don't catch anything, there's nothing to sell. Or perhaps nothing to eat even themselves. So there's an urgency to this act of fishing there as well. Fishing also requires a keen intuition, an ability to listen and read surroundings in a rather unique way. Right? The sunlight, the wind, the season all affect where the fish may be. Fishing requires an attunement with creation in a way that other professions in the ancient world may not have. So Jesus calls them. And Jesus calls them because he knows this walk of discipleship requires both patience and urgency in equal measure. He knows that the gifts and the skills they have would be helpful in what God is doing in the world. And if we had any doubt about the disciples' abilities, Jesus settles those with his command to them. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. A more literal translation from the Greek is, follow me and I will make you to become fishers for people. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will shape the gifts and the skills you already possess into tools of invitation, tools of challenge for the discipleship journey ahead. It's an invitation for our gifts and skills to be shaped by Jesus on this road of discipleship. 
There's a call both for patience and for urgency here. But also a promise that when we dare to let go of what is familiar and comfortable, that the things we set down might return to us anew. Right? We hear in both cases when Jesus calls disciples, immediately they drop their nets. Immediately they let their nets go. Immediately they surrender everything that may have been comfortable for them. But when they drop their nets, they're not leaving behind the skills and gifts that they have. Rather, they commit them to the service of Jesus. And they're promised that God will shape those gifts in new ways so that the world may hear the good news. It's significant that this is Jesus' first act of ministry in Mark's Gospel. It sets the course, in a way, for all that is to unfold in his ministry. This proclamation in verse 15 is really a mission statement of sorts for everything that follows. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. In Mark, we'll often see Jesus talk about the kingdom of God in sharp contrast to the kingdom of Rome. Rome was the prevailing power of the day, and Jesus is often explicitly shining a light on how the healing and gracious ruling activity of God differs from the oppressive ruling activity of Rome. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, has come near. Repent. Think differently and trust in the good news. Jesus comes to disrupt business as usual so that we may trust in the good news of God. And we'll see that time and again through Mark's telling of the Jesus story, these instances of disruption. Of Jesus disrupting business as usual for the sake of inviting his followers to think differently. And trust in the good news. Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians. The present form of this world is passing away, he writes. I want you to be free from anxieties, he says. And then goes on to urge the church in Corinth to think differently. Another way of saying repent, right? Think differently about their relationships and adopt a singular devotion to God. He says this not to put restraint on them, but to promote good order and unhindered devotion to God. What a beautiful image of the kingdom of God coming near. That those who are gathered to hear this word would have unhindered devotion to God. So in all of this, I wonder how we think about our time. I wonder how we spend our time, what it says about our priorities in our life. Right? The new year is often a time where we make resolutions to think differently about how we spend different areas in our lives, how we spend our time or our money or our gifts or skills, about how we prioritize our lives. We're invited to repent. We're invited into this time where we can think differently. And as we'll hear throughout the gospel, Jesus gives 
the disciples and I think gives us by extension a number of different ways to think differently. Loving our enemies is thinking differently. Giving away our resources and wealth is thinking differently. Trusting that mercy and love triumph over money and power is thinking differently. Seeing those on the margins of society as having immense worth as children of God is thinking differently. It's thinking differently than the ways of our world. Thinking differently as the ways of our world which continually say the one with the most wins. Jesus is calling us to a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing the world. So, beloved in Christ, the time is here. It's time to think differently. And the promise of Jesus is that we don't do this alone, but always in relationship with God and with our neighbor. What Jesus says to his first disciples, he says today to each and every one of us, come, follow me. It's time to think differently about yourself, about your neighbor, and about the world. It's time to see yourself, your neighbor, and the world in the ways that God sees them. As holy loved and holy gathered together for the devotion, the singular devotion to God our Father. And for that we can indeed say thanks be to God. Amen.